0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good evening, Valleydale and friends. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. This is a great time of year. Temperature's changing a little bit. It's a little cooler at night. It's exciting, and I appreciate you joining us as we study God's word again tonight. The world has changed. And none of us can go back. All we can do is our best. Those were the words of Peggy Carter to Captain America after he had been asleep for nearly 70 years. The captain woke up and was not sure where he was. What time was it? What year was it? So much had changed. There was a, a radio over in the corner that was broadcasting a baseball game. And he, as he listened to it, he, he recognized it because he had been at that game in May of 1941, so he was not sure what was happening. He went outside into modern New York City and things of course looked different to him and he was finally told that he had been asleep for nearly 70 years. And think of all that had changed in 70 years. There was no longer a World War II. Uh, The internet was here, cell phones are here. So much had changed. The woman that he loved, Peggy Carter, Had had, was still alive, but she had lived a full life and and, and his good friend, Bucky, he thought was dead. So much has changed. And yet Captain could not go back in time. He had to adjust to a new reality, a brand new world. And I wonder how many of us, are there times in our life, maybe some of you even now would say, "I, I would love to just go back to another day. I'd love to go back to the good old days. Whether it was pre-COVID or at some point further in the past, you'd say, I'd love to go back to a time where it was simpler, life was not as busy, there was no worldwide pandemic, and there was more harmony in the world. I mean, how many times have you heard in the last few months someone say, uh, you know, I can't wait till things return to normal. And yet we understand that now it's really a new normal, and we just have to adjust and get used to that. And the same can happen in our lives spiritually. We can have some experience with God in the past, although it's very real and significant at the time. And we expect God to work the same way in the present. And when he does not, for whatever reason, we can get frustrated. And maybe that's where some of you are tonight. You feel stuck in your, in your spiritual life, and you're not really sure of the path forward. And so you look back and you think, well, God did this in this way so many years ago or even a few months ago. Why is he, why is he not doing that, that now? And so you feel stuck. Today we want to talk about how does God work and how do we perceive his work? Remember what Jesus said? My father is working until now and I am working, he said. John 5, 17. So God is working. He's working right now. And the question is, do we perceive it? Do we understand what he's doing? Tonight, we're going to look at Isaiah 43. And God had a word for his people who were in Babylon. And he told them, I'm going to do a new thing. You see, I'm sure many of them felt stuck as well. They were away from the the land they had grown up in, or at least the land their parents had grown up in. And... Would they ever get back home? Would they ever return to the way things were? And God said, I'm going to do a new thing. And then God went and told them how he would do it. And so I want you to turn to Isaiah 43, and we're going to look at the new thing God did in their life. And I just believe God wants to do a new thing in your life and in the life of our church. So let's talk about that. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah is the fourth longest book in the Bible, 66 chapters, and there's a lot happening. It really divides up into two major sections. The first one is Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, and it talks about the need for God's people to repent. And then the second half is chapters 40 through 66, and it's on really the restoration of God's people and the glory of God, the author, as far as we know, was the prophet Isaiah. And he lived in Jerusalem and ministered in Jerusalem into the people of Judah. Now he became a prophet around 740 or 739 BC. So he would have ministered for about 60 years. And God spoke many wonderful things through him. And as chapter 40 begins, the first word is comfort. God had comfort for his people. Now he, he, he pled with them to repent in, in the, the early part of the book, he even said in the first chapter, you know, come now, will you, let, let's reason together. You know, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. God still offered forgiveness, but his people chose to rebel against him. And because of that, God had to punish them because he's a holy God. And so he sent them into captivity into Babylon. And then after 70 years, they would come out. And that's our story catches God's people in Babylon. They're in, they're away from the promised land. They're there being disciplined by God. And they're in sort of an in-between stage. If they look to their history, they had a wonderful history. They had kings like David and and Solomon. And there was prosperity. They had the history of Moses and Joshua and and, uh, Samuel. So many wonderful godly leaders. And the question was, what would happen moving forward? Would they return to God? Would they worship him? Would they return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and and worship him and offer sacrifices to him? Or would they continue to rebel against him? And so God addresses the readers in chapter 43. And he tells them, fear not. you know. Even though you're in captivity, I'm still with you. I will be with you. Though you you go through the fire, it's not going to burn you. I'm with you. And he, t- he, he goes on to tell them that they still belong to him and that he had a future for them. And so you go down to verse 14 of chapter 43. He says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and, and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. And so Babylon was a world power, and they had come on the scene and through three different waves of attacks. They destroyed Jerusalem, they burned the temple, they brought many of the young and, and influential from there back to Babylon so they could, they could help their empire. But God says, I'm gonna remove them. Although they are a world power, I will remove them. And, and the ships in which they rejoice and they take pride in, in the Euphrates River and even down in the Persian Gulf, they're gonna flee in those ships as fugitives would they're going to be on the run and that would happen in the year 539 when Cyrus the king of the Medo-Persian empire would basically take Babylon without hardly any resistance and he became he had the he became the world leader but he had the most impressive military the world had ever seen at that time it was it was a rather easy conquest for him and he did all of that verse 15 by the, the help of God, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. You know, I will overthrow the Babylonians is what he's telling them. While they're still in Babylon, God's given them a word. I will overthrow them. So you will not be there forever. The, the Babylonians will not always be the world power. And so verses 16 through 19 unpack the details of Israel's return to the promised land. The Lord says, thus says the Lord, Who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Now, this is talking, referring back to the Exodus. Remember the Exodus in the book of Exodus when God redeemed his people from Egypt? Exodus 13, there were 10 plagues, and then God led them out to the the edge of the Red Sea. And so they were stuck there between the Red Sea, and then all of a sudden the Egyptians came on the other side. The Egyptians changed their minds and thought, oh, oh no, what have we done? Why did, why did we let them go? They were, they were our labor force. And so they, they chased them, and now Israel, the Hebrews, had the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptians on the other side, and they were trapped, and they weren't sure what to do. And so they, they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt Hey, you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Moses, why have you brought us out here to die? And then Moses said, The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God did fight, fight for his people. He made a way. That's what, that's what Isaiah is talking about here. He made a way right through the sea. He, he caused the, the wind to blow, to part the waters. And then God made a dry path right through the middle. And Israel went through there, and then the Egyptians pursued them. And, and of course, the, the, it, the Egyptians had trouble. That's what he's saying. Uh, the army and the warrior, the chariot and horse, they chased after the Israelites, and then God caused the water to go back on top of the Egyptians, and they died. It says they lie down. They cannot rise. Those words are in the imperfect. That is, they lie, they lie down, and they stayed there. They, they couldn't get up because the water came down on top of them, and so they perished. God rescued Israel when there was no way out. That's what he's trying to tell them. He's saying that I delivered you. You had nowhere to go. There was no hope until I made a way for you. I made a path for you. And so that was, a, that was an impressive time. And so now the Lord tells him, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, uh, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. So God is about to tell them that now you're in Babylon, but I'm gonna bring you from there and I'm gonna bring you back to the promised land. Now, depending on which route they would take, that's about a five to 900 mile trip. That's a long journey that they had ahead of them. And there were many unknowns. Uh, where, what kind of food would they eat along the way? And, and by the way, once they got back, What would life be like in Jerusalem? The temple had been burned. The city had been practically destroyed. What were they going back to? What kind of work would they do? Where would they live? All of these questions that they didn't have answers to. These are the kind of things they they had to be thinking about. Yet God said he would do something amazing. And now as significant as the Exodus event was, it's, it's very surprising to read the next verse. Look, look at, at verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, wait, wait a minute. You, the Exodus event was incredible. It's, it's in the Bible. Is, is God telling them to forget, forget what he did? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there's two key words here. Remember and consider. So let's, let's take a look at that. Remember means to think about, to meditate upon, to pay attention to, to recollect, to recite. There's three different meanings for this term. The one that's closest to the verbs, root meaning, remember is audible speaking with such meanings as recite or invoke. It's to audibly talk about something. Have you ever lived or worked somewhere where... All they talked about was the past, the, the, the good old days, the glory days. And you, if you keep hearing that, you begin to think, man, is there, could, every, could it ever get any better than it was you know, 10 years ago or whenever those things happen? Because that seems to be all that you talk about is how great things used to be. So God was telling his people, remember not. He's not telling them to forget. He's just saying, don't keep repeating and reciting those events as if the best was in the past. Because the best is yet to come. As followers of Jesus, the best is always to come. Because the best will be when we're with him in heaven. So the best is always in front of us. And so God's telling them, don't, don't get stuck in the past. Don't be so focused on what happened years ago, as amazing and significant as it was. Don't, don't, don't let that bind you. Don't, don't get bound to the past so that you cannot experience the present. The Jews should not keep walking around and reciting the events of the Red Sea at the expense of what God was about to do in their midst. They should not be preoccupied with the past. They should focus on what God was doing then. The past, as one source wrote, the past can become an idealized world into which we retreat. We only remember certain parts of it. We don't remember this, necessarily remember the struggles or the bad times, the hard times, the conflict. Uh, we, we, we tend to idealize it, and, and we only think of the good times. The Exodus exemplified God's abilities, one source said, but it did not set a pattern that he had to follow thereafter. In other words, God didn't have to, uh, to intervene like that every single time. When he wanted to work in his people's lives, he could intervene however he chose to. And I think that's where our struggle sometimes comes. We, we have one experience with God and we think, well, he's always gonna do it that way. That's, how he's, that's, that's the way he did it, he's always gonna do it. And when he doesn't do it that way, we get frustrated. And so God's telling him, I'm gonna do a new thing. Don't be, get so fixated on what I did you know, hundreds of years ago, I'm gonna do something new. The second key word is consider. It means to show oneself attentive, to consider di- diligently, to discern. In other words, don't think too hard about what God did back then. So remember not and, and consider. Don't, don't, don't focus so much there. So don't worship the past. Worship the God of the past. So this brings us to our first main point tonight. I have two main points and then some application. Expectations from the past can hinder present experiences. Expectations from the past can hinder present experiences. In two thousand and four, some of you may remember that Joe Gibbs became head coach of the Washington Redskins again. He was a legendary coach, or is a legendary coach, and he had uh, his first tenure with the Redskins was from nineteen eighty one to nineteen ninety two. Won one hundred forty games. Uh, a number of playoff games. He won three Super Bowls, three different quarterbacks with those teams, an outstanding coach, outstanding offensive mind. But when he came back to the Redskins there, there were some challenges. He even told some of his friends he didn't, he didn't anticipate it was more challenging than what he thought it would be. Uh, defenses had changed. They blitzed more than they used to the the play clock was shorter. It used to be 45 seconds. Now it was 40. He likes to use a lot of motion in his offenses. And because of that, they they had more uh, uh, false start penalties or or delay of game penalties rather than any other team. And so his past experience hindered his present uh, job. And so he had to adjust. And he did that. He did adjust. He did change. And they had they made the playoffs the second year. But it, it was it was challenging at first. And so the question is, are you adjusting spiritually right now? Or are you just waiting for things to go back to normal? The, things, the way they were six months ago? Or are you adjusting? Are you asking, you know, God, what is it, what is the new thing that you want to do in my life right now? What is the new thing that you want to do in our church? What is the new thing you want to do in our neighborhood? Uh, you see, God, God is working. Uh, are we expecting him to work like he did six months ago? Or are we looking forward to, God, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to adapt. Our next point comes in verse 19. The Lord says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm doing a new thing, something totally new, something completely different. The new thing had two parts to it. First was God's deliverance of Israel from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But the second part is they were to worship him. In chapter 2, it says, And many people shall come, this is the first part of verse 3, and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. You see, God was going to deliver them, but it was in order that they would worship him. And that's a great picture of salvation. God saves us not so we can keep doing what we want to do, so that we can worship him. That's what the father is seeking. He's seeking worshipers. And so God's saying, I will deliver you, but come back and worship me. That's what he wants. He wants us to worship him, to seek him. So he says, I'm gonna do a new thing. And he says, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not is a question that expects a positive response. In other words, yes, that that would be the appropriate response. Yes, yes, I I perceive it. Uh, Perceive also means to distinguish. Yes, I can distinguish it. I can distinguish what you're doing, God, in the midst of Babylon, in the midst of this secular world that we live in, it's clear to me what, what you're doing, and the point was you won't be able to miss it. That's what he's saying. It's like I'm going to do something in your midst. You won't be able to miss it. It will be so crystal clear that it that is God's work. Several months ago, uh, end of May, we reseeded our front yard with Bermuda grass, and um, we put it in the put it in the ground. and And I thought it would come up quicker than it did, so I began to get a little frustrated discouraged. And, I, and finally, I would see some green things come up, but I, they were weeds. And I began thinking, oh, put all this time into this, and we've invested, and, and, and all I'm seeing is weeds. And, and then finally, one day, Courtney said, no, 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 I see some here. And oh, but there's some over here. And it was actually the grass that we wanted to see. And it was, it was springing forth. It was there. I, I just had not seen much of it yet. And it was already in motion. It was growing. It was coming up. I, I, I was just too focused on the weeds. And so God is saying, do you not perceive it? I'm doing a new thing. It's already in motion. And I, you just, can you, not, can you not tell it? Can you not see it? I, I'm already doing it. And this was a word, a bit of word of hope, a word of encouragement to his people. You will not always be in captivity in Babylon. He had told them, Jeremiah 25, that they would be there for 70 years, and then they would be released. And so he, this was a word of encouragement. Yeah, I, I'm going to bring you back. You're not going to be stuck there forever. And the last part of verse, um, of verse 19 tells us that um, how is God going to do this. He said, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, you don't typically have rivers in the desert. The desert is a dry hot place. Before the Red Sea, the, the water was a barrier. They were stuck there until God made a way. But now, as one sword said, this water would be a blessing. You, you, you want to have water in the wilderness or in the desert because you, you're thirsty. And God says, I, I, I will make, I'll make a highway. I'll make a way right through that dry, dusty desert place. I'll make a path for you. He's saying this new exodus would look different, but it will be every bit as miraculous as the one before. You're not coming out of Egypt. You're coming out of Babylon. You're not going to go through the Red Sea. You're going to go through a desert. But just as I made a way, God is saying through the Red Sea, I will make a way through the desert. You will have water. I will meet every need that you have. And the journey would take at least four months. But God is saying, I will make a way. It's a promise. I will make a way. I will bring you back. I will teach you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. This new thing would not make the Jews forget about the Exodus. No, because they could read about it. They're not going to forget about it. This is, it would just broaden their view of God. And they would realize more and more how awesome he really is and how powerful he really is and how they should worship him. Here's our second point. A new miracle does not require old methodology. A new miracle does not require old methodology. See, God's method of deliverance in Babylon is completely different than what he did in Israel. God's, God's power or God's path forward for you may be completely different than what he did years ago. He may be doing a new thing in your life right now. And you may, be, you may be missing it because you're looking for something back here. But it's already sprouting forth. It's growing. He's working. And, and maybe you just haven't seen it. But he's working. And maybe, maybe he's wanting you to focus on reaching your neighborhood. Because maybe you're not traveling as much as you did before. And you're home more. And, and, and you're there. And, and, and God wants you to begin a new life group in your neighborhood. Or he wants you to begin gospel conversations with your neighbors or he's waiting on you to, now's the time where you can commit to that mission trip next year. Hopefully we'll be able to go. And, and now's the time to make that commitment of, yes, God, I, I'm going to go. I, I, I believe you're sovereign. And so God's doing a new thing. And God's doing a new thing in our church. And we, we, we realize now we, we, we want to equip you to live on mission for Jesus Christ during the week instead of doing attractional things here. So we always want to have you here now, we, want, we, want, we understand your life is out there, and we want to equip you to live a mission while you're there. See, God's doing a new thing here. He's doing a new thing in your life. The great news is we're not going to miss it, all right? It, it, the, the Jews would not miss the opportunity to go back to Israel, to Jerusalem, unless they just didn't want to go. No, God, God would make it clear they, they, would, they would certainly know what, what to do. Uh, the only way they would miss it is if they just chose to stay. So the question for you is, are you going to surrender to the new thing God is doing in your life? Whatever that new thing is, it may look completely different from what he's doing in my life or someone else's life. Are you willing to surrender to what that new thing is? And maybe that's just the first step for you is before you can, you can't perceive what God's doing yet. But maybe tonight, the, the, the first step for you, the next step is, God, I just want to surrender to whatever that new thing is. Whether it's a mission trip, whether it's a gospel conversation with a coworker or a neighbor, whether it's a career change, whatever it is, God, I just want to surrender to you. I want to say yes to that new thing, whatever it is, God, because your way is always the best way. And I just want to surrender Let me give you a few application points based on our our passage tonight. Objects that appear immovable can be easily moved by God. Objects that appear immovable can be easily moved by God. Babylon was a world power, yet God took them off the world stage just like that. There was no problem for God. He easily did it. What is it that appears immovable in your life? there's something that, maybe it's an unforgiving spirit, a critical spirit, maybe it's some type of financial debt, college loan, something in your life that you think it just appears immovable, some type of conflict in a relationship somewhere. Oftentimes, those kind of things seem impossible. We think, I'll just have to learn to live with it. It'll always be that way. And that's one of the lies the enemy will whisper in our ears because God can remove, he can move that immovable object just like that. If we will give it to him, we will cry out to him in prayer, he can do it and he can do it quickly. Second, expect risk to precede miracles. Expect risk to precede miracles. Leaving Babylon was risky. Many of the Jews had grown up there. They were used to life. In Babylon, there was a measure of security there. Traveling back to Jerusalem represented the unknown. There was uncertainty. We we talked about that earlier. Yet, God showed his power and did the miraculous. When they stepped out in faith, he provided for them. He went before them. So if you're going to experience God's miracles, then there may be times where risk is involved. If you're going to see a neighbor come to Christ, then you've got to take the risk of initiating the conversation. You've got to take the risk of opening your mouth and talking, and then we experience the power of God. If you're going to experience God's provision for that mission trip, you're going to have to commit to going. There's going to have to be some risk before you experience the miracle. You see, you and I live in a day where we, we like to calculate everything, and we like to eliminate or reduce the risk in all that we do. But in the Christian life, there are times if we want to experience God's miracles, there has, there's going to be a risk involved. And, and we just have to trust that that's what God's leading us to do. As uh, Bruce Arian says, he's, he coaches the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He says, no risk it, no biscuit. That's, that's, what, that's what he says. Finally, we can be assured that we will not miss God's work in our lives. We can be assured that we will not miss God's work in our lives. This, to me, was so encouraging. The Jews would not miss their opportunity to go back to the promised land unless they just chose not to go. Now now you say, now, how is that? Well, it came through Cyrus, king of Persia. And if you look over the book of Ezra in chapter 1, Ezra made a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom so everyone would have known. The king said... If you want to go back, you can go back. And then he put it in writing. So he proclaimed it orally, and then he put it in writing. So everyone would have known, if you want to go back, you can go back. So God made it clear. And God loves you enough, he loves us enough, to make his will perfectly clear to us. He's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to trick us. He will make it perfectly clear. So you can rest easy tonight. You can be encouraged that you don't have to try to figure it out. God will make it clear. The question is, will you obey his will when he reveals it? Whatever that new thing is, when he reveals it, will you obey? And I hope the answer will be yes. Some of you may sense God working in your life tonight. And for you, maybe that new thing is a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin in order that you and I can become the righteousness of God. So that that gift of eternal life is available to you and to any person who will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God's doing a new thing. And I hope you'll surrender to whatever that is, whether that's salvation, whether that's just a deeper walk with him, God's doing a new thing. So be encouraged. Adjusting to the new world was, was a challenge for Captain America. I mean, Back in the 1940s, the philosophy of life was different. People put other people first, and uh, things are just different uh, in the 21st century. But there's a scene in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where he's having a conversation with Sam Wilson. And Sam asked him, you must miss the good old days. And the captain said, things aren't so bad. Food's a lot better, used to boil everything, Uh, polios, no no polios, uh, internet, so helpful, been reading that a lot, trying to catch up. You see, Captain had not forgotten about the good old days, of course he still remembered them, but he just realized that things had changed, and he needed to adjust to a new normal, and to look forward instead of looking back all the time. Where's your focus tonight? Are you looking forward to what God's doing? Are you looking forward to the new thing that he's doing in your life? Or are you looking back? And maybe that's why you feel stuck. Surrender to the new thing God wants to do in your life. Because remember, his way is always the best way. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us enough to do a new thing in our life. You did that with Israel. You did not leave or forsake your people. You brought them back, Father. You are faithful to your word. And you will not leave us or forsake us either. So we trust you. And whatever your new thing is, Lord, for our church, for our lives individually, we just say yes, Lord. We say yes to your will, yes to your ways. Because we want to worship you and we want to be obedient to you. So thank you for your word tonight, Father. Please apply it to our hearts so that we would be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his wonderful name, amen. My friends, thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you Sunday. God bless. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.